Get the Scoop on Tigers today. Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to Tigers SRD on the Tiger Minor League Report Network and Overland Media Network. I'm Roger Steele. Alongside me is Chris Brown. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iArt Media, Sitzler, Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Tigers Minor League Report and the new Facebook page, Tigers Minor League Report. So please like our Facebook page. And I wanted to thank Michael from Fort Wayne, Indiana, who left us a five-star review Last week. he he enjoyed the Poonski talk, Chris. <laughs> nice, thank you, Michael. Yes, thank yes. you. Yes, I, I, it feels silly to beg people for reviews. I, I, it's nice, nice to have people give us feedback. I'd prefer more people send us questions. Yes, but the reviews help too. So the reviews help more than the questions. Actually, I'm just they're both great. Yeah, and we and technically, I mean, we we ask for reviews every once in a great while. We don't really, we don't. We don't flood people's inboxes with requests to share links or anything like that. So a simple review every once in a while or what what have you is that's fine too. And we we appreciate all the feedback and a lot of the tr- stuff on Twitter this week's been really good back and forth. A lot of questions and kind of dialogue with some of the signings and stuff like that's been good. And and on the minor league report with the tool shed series, we appreciate a lot of that too. I was going to say, Chris, mm-hmm. you've been getting a lot of feedback and it's all been good. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's very nice to to uh, have people respond to stuff that you're doing. Yeah, and uh, the nice, by the way, great job, too, by Joe Rampey on that Winslow Press piece. Really enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, things are coming together. Yes. As uh, February, this is the last, this will be the last show of January. Of course, February just just around the corner. It's strange. This month has gone by relatively fast, but there's been a lot going on the last couple weeks with Tigers. It's Probably the busiest January I can remember for the Tigers in terms of offseason in quite a long time. Jody Mercer, we'll get the, the Jody Mercer signing. We'll get to Kenny Vargas, the former twin hotshot quote unquote prospect. We'll get to that in a little bit. Also, we'll be talking prospects list. A very quick show tonight as we are wrapping up the Toolshed series tomorrow. Chris has got that coming out in the morning, and then we have another article from Zeke Jennings, who did a really good job, and we'll. I won't talk more about that. We'll kind of surprise you with that. So, but before we get to baseball, of course, Kobe Bryant passed away on Sunday in a terrible helicopter accident. But there was a little more of the story, Chris, that was not talked about. I mean, it was talked about. Don't get me wrong, but not in the same. And Kobe Bryant, one of the best NBA players yeah. of all time, I understand. But there was a little more to that crash, Chris. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so so nine people died, which is you know, it's a terrible tragedy. And obviously, losing one of the biggest sports stars in the, in the world uh, is what you know. Really, everybody was focusing on. But there, yeah, there was a prominent, uh, at least on the West Coast, uh, West Coast uh, junior college baseball coach named John Altobelli on the plane uh, or on the helicopter with his wife and his 13-year-old daughter. I think she was playing with Kobe Bryant's 13-year-old daughter. And I mean, God, that's just. I mean, this is all terribly sad, but it's just so sad to think about these 13-year-old girls who are just, you know, pursuing their athletic dreams, and and yeah, it's just it's it's a horrible tragedy. But yeah, so the, the Altabelli family. He's been a coach. He was a coach at Orange Coast College, which has had a whole bunch of. It's a junior college that's had a whole bunch of players drafted uh, over the last uh, I don't know 20, 30 years, and 
uh, yeah, so it, it's it's just it it really got the baseball community uh, hard too. And in some some regards, I feel like him being on the plane with Kobe Bryant brought more attention to that. I'm not sure how much attention he would have gotten had it just been him. And and I don't know you're not really trying to measure the amount of attention somebody gets in their death, but but it, it was nice to see the the tribute. You know, they're normally the team plays in front of like 50 people tops, unless they have like a really high, uh, high, uh, follow draft prospect. And it sounded like there were 2000 people there for their first game, uh, earlier this week. And yeah, just a, like a family affair. Basically his, his brother is the sports information director there at orange coast college. And he was like the master of ceremonies for the, the funeral. So that, I mean, I can't imagine how difficult that was and the poor family that the, the the, they're survived by his oldest son, who was a scout, actually, like a amateur scout for the Red Sox in Southern California, and then another daughter who's in high school. And, and I just, you, just, I mean, scouts don't make a ton of money, and being in high school, just, man, what a tough road for them going ahead. But yeah, it's just one of those things where, uh, tragedy kind of touches everybody in, in certain ways and uh, I don't know man one of the one of the biggest deaths like celebrity deaths that I can remember in my life uh, probably along with like Princess Diana um, and, and I'm sure like NASCAR fans would say Dale Earnhardt Jr. or Dale Sr. Dale Earnhardt Sr. I believe the Jr. is still alive uh, but yeah just, just a, kind of a sad sobering moment a lot of uh, nice tributes and and stuff like that came out afterward though uh which is good to see yeah there was a they the the players were in number 14 i think what what, what it was there were 24 or an eight and a lot of nba teams were taking 24 second shot clock violations or eight second backcourt violations Oh yeah, the, uh, and, and that I meant the I think the players' jerseys in the, for the Orange County team. Or that, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. They were wearing like the number fourteen. I believe it was the number fourteen. And then I think Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole was out there. I did see a story with Garrett Cole being out there. And yeah, I mean the coach wasn't. He wasn't just there for Orange Coast. He had also coached in the Cape Cod League, I think, and with Team USA. So I mean, this was a guy who's known on the scene, and, and he probably impacted. A ton of kids uh, in his career, you know, twenty kids every year for almost thirty years. It's you know a lot of lot of uh, a lot of lives affected by this, and and you know I'm sure that that the people coming there that was a great tribute to to him, and uh, hopefully the family can can uh, the the survivors can pull it together. I saw that there was a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something like that, and and they were doing pretty well on that, so that's good. Yeah, the that 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 got me the story that got me with the baseball with uh, Antibelli's co the coach was his daughter Lexi was 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 a high school junior was sitting she was sitting there and she was sitting with her her brother's a scout for the Red Sox yeah and just sitting there like every half inning they would go and give her a hug during the game on Tuesday and. She just sat there and this is like that. I don't know that, that broke me a little bit because it's like, man, it's like you lost your mom and you're. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, you can you can only imagine how surreal and, and 
horrible that would feel for them. I mean, you just, you don't, I don't know. It, it's, there's nobody pictures anything going down like that. You don't picture your, half your family dying in a helicopter crash. Uh, and, and then not only that, but you've got to hear about it constantly because one of the biggest athletes in the world was also on the helicopter and that's all everybody wants to talk about. Right. And, and it's, it's just a lot of things. And, and then beyond that, the poor other people who died in the helicopter, I, I haven't heard much about them at all. So, uh, you know, there's, there are tragedies like this every day. And it's one of those things that makes you feel like, uh, you know, you should care more about people and pay more attention to when these things happen and, and hug your family and stuff. But we all, we all always feel like that when there's a tragedy and then we kind of move away from that because you can't really live your life thinking about death. You could live your life like it's like it could be your last, I suppose, but you don't want to get too morbid and sad. That's why we waste our time thinking about baseball and, and do baseball videos. And, and you know, I've always thought that basically life it's life is just kind of, uh, a series of attempts to find things to enjoy while you're slowly dying. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, so. that, that's, uh, that's a good way to put it. And no, I, I mean, it's probably a cynical uh, way to look at it. But. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're both kind of cynical in nature, so I, I, I get yeah. it. I mean, it's, it is what it is. And yeah, you try to distract yourself with a lot of different things, Twitter or whatever, but uh, real quick, another thing, a couple signings to Nick, of course, Nick, now he goes by Nick again. Nick yeah. Nick Castellanos signing with Cincinnati, which was interesting. The day, the next following day, Junior Suarez has surgery to remove loose cartridge in his right shoulder, and he injured. Yeah, it, was, it was a swimming accident yeah, swim, or yeah, something. Yeah, he said he was injured recently in a swimming pool. So that was that, he doing? Was well, he doing I a mean, cannonball or something? Or <laughs> well, I could say, as the owner of a swimming pool, they can cause injuries. I could say that irresponsible some, is little... ir- irresponsible speculation, Chris. What do you? <laughs> well, I, for a shoulder, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like a couple summers ago, I was trying to jump off the diving board and slipped off the end. It totally like tweaked my ankle. Yeah, and it just wasn't right for like a year. It's just like, nope, that ankle's not working again. It's finally back to normal, but it's like, oh, I mean, that's that's the curse of being almost forty. And Suarez is what twenty eight now, twenty nine. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, I, I don't know. It sounds a little bit fishy. It sounds like uh, maybe down the road we'll find out more about what would happen there. But it could have just been, yeah, he could have just been uh, diving in the pool or you know swimming vigorously. You're moving your shoulders and stuff like that. I can see how you might shake something loose. Well, at least it's not Jeff Kent or Jeff Kent. Didn't he say he got injured by when he was washing his car? <laughs> I, yeah, something like that. You know, so the, some of the baseball injuries are always hilarious, like hurting themselves sneezing. Or sunflower stra- seeds. Strained eyelid, yeah. Nintendo or Guitar yeah, Hero. Or, just last year, uh, before all the other Astros strangeness, for, uh, Carlos Correa suffered a, like a cracked rib during a massage. <laughs> and everybody wondered what the hell kind of massage this was. Forgot about that. Yeah. Speaking of the Astros, by the way, another piece of note, Dusty Baker's down, the new manager down there, and I think there was a tweet that kind of said that Dusty Baker's the, the perfect manager for the situation because he's one of the guys that has so much veteran experience he could just come in and cl- command a clubhouse, or a clubhouse a little bit, but 
I, I think I was I was watching an interview yesterday on Venezuelan. I think it was the Dominican Republic. Ozzy Guillen was talking mm-hmm. about the whole cheating scandal and everything, and this whole interview is in Spanish, and this ties into Dusty Baker. But talked about people being with computers and everything, computers, cameras, technology advancing the way it is. He expected this at some point because just another way, but. As far as oh, somebody asked him about managing, he's like, oh, I haven't heard anything or anything like that. But it was it was interesting because he was essentially saying that this was the evolution of time. It was just a matter of time before this was going to happen. And technology enhanced a little bit. But for for the for the Astros, really, this is, this is really just a stopgap measure. But I'm just a, I'm just surprised, Chris, like for all the, again, we're not we're not triple A managers around all the minor league managers, all the. All the guys out there, it's just Dusty proved that he was kind of outdated in with Washington when Dave Martinez was hired in the Nationals by winning the World Series. So again, it's just it's just kind of like a tip of the cap hold, and then he sticks for a round for a year and then gets fired. I don't know, it just seems a little weird to me. Yeah, you know, it, it does. I mean, it's a one year deal, so it's like I enjoy having Dusty manager, uh, Dusty Baker manage. Uh, he always reminds me of my dad's dad for some reason. Maybe it was the toothpicks, but uh, it is it is kind of funny, just like uh, the the polar opposite of what AJ Hinch was, and at least the perception. Uh, but like you said, it, it's there's a different kind of uh, view now on the managers, and uh, I, I feel like like you said, the, the command the clubhouse. They may need somebody like that, somebody who's going to rein in anybody who wants to get rogue. Uh, but he's not like – I've never considered him like a disciplinarian, really. He just seems like a, a, a good manager. communicator and, and somebody who's fun to be around. And, and I think there's room for that, especially – you know, we talked about it before. I think the uh, the days of the manager are like having final say are, are gone for the most part. We've seen some teams kind of reverse trend a little bit. Like the Phillies going from Kapler to uh, Girardi, but for the most part, the manager's just there to convey the front office's message to the players and keep the players engaged. And it seems like something Dusty Baker could do just fine. And and I'm sure they won't let him <laughs> keep pitchers in too long, like that. Uh, the uh, you know, which was the stigma attached to him for a long time. But he was, you know, they, they mentioned there were a bunch of other names connected. They they interviewed Brad Osmus, I think. And uh, people were laughing and saying that should be their punishment and stuff like that. And it was, which not to get back on my whole thing about managers not really mattering that much, but uh, people just always, for a reason, think that it's Brad Osmus's fault that four of his five teams seasons managing he had a losing record. Uh, Yeah, I mean, and that that, you know what? Like I've come around. Like I've, I since started doing the podcast with you, but now four years now, I've come around to that conclusion because just based off no and i and it cracks me up too like when i when i do hear that like well he made a difference in in line of decisions and no 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 matter what if a guy's a uh a, a, a minus war player he's a minus war player there's nothing he's gonna do the manager not putting him in or in and out it's gonna matter like it's yeah hard- I mean, it, 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 criticism of Osmus was fair in that you know Bull, his best team management his- bullpen management well yeah his best team was his first year as a manager and, and people complained about the way he managed the bullpen and too strict and stuff like that. By the time 
he was in his third or fourth year, he had sort of was fine with that, doing the right things for the most part. Uh, people complained, you know, he kept using Francisco Rodriguez, but like, who else was there? Uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things, like, he just, he had a lousy roster, and the, the Angels didn't help him out much last year, and I don't know, like, I don't care one way or the other, I always say that, like, he's, he could be a bad manager, he might be a good manager, I I don't think you can know, like, Joe Torre went like five or six seasons as a manager before having a winning season, and he didn't. I think the the Yankees was his fourth managing job. You know, so it's just you look like a great manager if you have a good team. That's about how it goes. I, I don't know. I don't remember what Jim Leland did when he started with the Pirates, but I, I bet it wasn't all that great immediately. Well, even like I, I hate to say this for the local reference, but Sparky Anderson, the last couple of teams he managed, the '93 team, for example, that comes to mind, it didn't matter that he had one of the best offenses of all time. Their their pitching staff was terrible, and there was nothing that Sparky could have done either way to make that better. I and mean, they were in contention for a while, but they faded because they didn't have enough pitching. Sparky, Sparky yeah. Anderson, a Hall of Fame manager, there's nothing he could have done with that. Yeah, there's there's nothing. I and mean, we see some impressive stuff for managers now. I think that that um, like Craig Council with the the Brewers last year, and you know, they were in a, a tight race for the division and they lost their MVP caliber player. Did he win? Did the yellow twin the MVP this year again? Yes. Or not or again, no, but wait, yeah. Okay. No, so they lost yeah. their, well, no, did he? Wait, did I he win? It was Bellinger. No, no. Bellinger did win MVP. I'm sorry. It was yellow won yellow last year. Yeah. Won it last year. Yeah. Or the year before. But yeah, they, they lost their best player and he, and they don't have like, you look at their starting pitching. You're like, what is this? And yet they kept winning and winning and winning. Uh, and he, he was just a wizard with the, the, management of the pitching staff and lineups and stuff. And I think it's almost like you can, you can, I think that managers can affect things more now by being kind of wild with all their, you know, the substitutions and lineups and platoon advantages and stuff like that. I think that those types of managers have a bigger advantage or, or a bigger impact than any manager who's going to come in and like lay the law down or, you know, make strategic lineup decisions. Uh, in terms of putting somebody batting fourth or fifth, uh, I think it's a lot more to do with the player substitution and usage. But um, even with that, I don't think they make more than a handful of games difference a year. No, I don't think so either. And we'll 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 revisit that come come playoff time too, because I think that the, the, how much Baker's experience may may or not help the the Astros this year too. But the Astros will have the biggest target, and I think it's going to get to him eventually. But uh, what I did see, by the way, a list, and I just sent it over to you, the top 150 hitters in college baseball, according oh. to Day Baseball Analytics, which, by the way, just as a heads up, next week we're going to be doing a college baseball preview a little bit. We're talking specific, specifically Big Ten. So we'll be doing some mm-hmm. research and looking at some of these players. And so, so yeah, Chris, if we get a chance, take a look at the best first, the number, ranked number one hitter was Aaron Sabato of North Carolina. Yeah, uh, well, we've talked about him. I think several times on the show. Yes, a couple months back, I, I just thought that he would be like if you don't go like I, I didn't think the difference between him and Spencer Torkelson was that great, uh, just because you're the you know slugging first baseman. But we'll see. I mean, he he's a he's the dude who was hitting homers to dead center field uh, off a tee. He's got crazy crazy pop, and uh, 
but yeah, there's not a whole lot else there. Like he's not, he's a first baseman. He's not going to provide a whole lot of defense and speed and stuff like that. But that doesn't shock me too much. I would think that Martin is up there pretty high and Torkelson is too, but. Yeah, Nick, Nick Gonzalez comes in at number three, New uh, Mexico state. Yeah. But New Mexico state, Austin Martin comes in at number four, Shane Mutz or M- Mutz. Did I say that M U N T U Z I Wake Forest. Oh, uh, is it months? Yeah, it is months. Maybe it is months. Comes at number five. Who was number two? Uh, Spencer Tolkison. Okay, yeah. Right. And then Tristan uh, Peterson comes in at number six. There are a lot of first basemen on this list, too. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it's, so this is a uh, – you said – where did you send it? You sent it to my email? Yeah, I sent your email. Yeah, oh. top top 150 hitters in college baseball, according to D1 Baseball Analytics. So they, they base it off a couple categories. We'll put the link on our uh, – Show description so you guys can check it out. All right. Overall, plate discipline, hit ability, and game power. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, I could see. I mean, they're just, it's basically their examination of the hit tool and the power tool. But so these are obviously not, they're not the most, uh, the best draft prospects. Right. Like Cuba, say, by the way, that, that's a sweet name. Cuba Bess. Shane Lawrence, Tristan, Alaric Solaire. He comes up at number Cuba 12. Best. Yeah, Jason Henchman from Grand Canyon. Uh, yeah, I'm looking. Adrian uh, Del Castillo. Yeah. yeah, he might not catch uh, for long. Parker Chavers is a name that's been out there before. Let's see what other names. Heston Kierstad from Arkansas has been a uh, first-round uh, consideration. Colton Kowser is a sophomore, I believe. That Griffin Lockwood... Powell about Central Michigan has been locally taught. Yeah. Well, yeah, Central has the third baseman, too. Is that him? No, I thought there's different third baseman, but uh, Alec Burleson's a guy who's been around for a while. So, Matt, yeah, there's some familiar names on here. Austin Langworthy, anybody Gabe, who goes to Florida. Yeah, Gabe uh, Rivera. Let's see. That's a name I've heard before. There's uh, Justin um, Jordan. Excuse Austin me, Jordan, Wells. Jordan, um, the Michigan outfielder. I have to say his last name correctly. Oh, Nuogo. Nuogo, yeah. Yeah, Jordan Nuogo. And then there's uh, number 61, one of my favorite players, Dallas Beaver. <laughs> Can't make that up. I, I, saw that, I saw that movie when I was young. <laughs> um, another name, too, that uh, maybe I saw it. I don't know where I saw this name at. It looks familiar to me. What was it? Oh, Austin and Langworthy out of Florida. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned him. Yeah, the, the, you know, Florida guys. Uh, yeah, you do me. Yeah, you did mention. I'm sorry. Yeah, told. they they tend to be uh, you know kind of big names. There was what you know what you know what there is okay, is it Xavier Warren you're thinking of out of Central Michigan. Yeah, the the third baseman slash I guess he he might Catches. play short, shortstop, but they said they got him a catcher here apparently. Oh, hmm. so yeah, I was just saying well, yeah, maybe the two catchers seem a little weird. I, I mean, I think he's kind of a hitter without a position, actually. So it wouldn't surprise me if they, like, you do that, and he if he can't, then suddenly you've got, you know, that, that actually boosts his stock. You know, there's one pitcher on this list, by the way, Sonny Diachara out of uh, Sanford. No, well, I think uh, Burleson pitches too. Alec Burleson. Stop! Stop, Lucy. Sorry, my dog's going crazy here. Lucy. Lucy, stop it. All right. 
Uh, but yeah, I just want to send you that list so we can. We'll be talking some Big Ten baseball next week. We'll be focusing more on college baseball because, obviously, with the draft in Michigan doing very well, that'd be kind of cool to give us some extra focus. There's a really good article today by by Cody in the Athletic about Michigan ba- baseball, so worth checking out. So definitely, if yeah, you have pitching, a their pitching coach, yep. And the Tigers signed Kenny. Is it? It's Kenny's. Kenny's Vargas. I I think he added the name and subtracted it once or twice. But yeah, Kenny Vargas or Kenny's Vargas, former uh, former slugging first baseman for the Minnesota Twins, who uh, who got a little love for um, he got he got more notice for looking uh, like David Ortiz in terms of just a big giant man, uh, kind of same similar facial features. Uh, and similar swing, so that instantly made people think that like, oh, he's going to be great. It was very similar. We saw a similar situation with uh, Avisal Garcia when they were calling him Mini Miggy, uh, even though he didn't have like a fraction of Miguel Cabrera's uh, plate discipline and, and hitting ability. Uh, and it's just it's just weird. That's one of the problems with uh, when you make body comps with players is that they just Suddenly, people mishear that and think you're comparing the entire player. But it's like, you know, I thought that Ricky Romero looked like LL Cool J. And I'm not going to, like, I don't expect <laughs> him to just be able to rap bad. Or doing uh, it, or doing it well. Pick cookies in a plastic bag. I don't <laughs> think we need to. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird thing about fans. But anyway, yeah, Kenny Vargas, he was off in where? Japan? Japan. He played. He was playing for Chiba uh, Laudi. Chiba Lote. Chiba Chiba Lodi. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things. Like, the guy's probably just he's trying to hang on in pro ball in some capacity. And the Tigers, I don't know who they're going to have playing first base in, in, in Toledo. Maybe it's uh, Frank, Josh Lester. Oh, because Frank Schwindel. Yeah, Frank Schwindel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just it's somebody to bring in just in case. You never know. I, I don't expect much from him, but. Um, it's a name. It's a name that some people remember, so it was kind of interesting. Yeah, a lot of Twins fans. By the way, it started a. It was funny when when he when he was signed. Aaron Gleeman started this whole thing on his Twitter where they started calling the Tigers Twin East, Twins East, mm-hmm. a hashtag, and it was kind of funny to me. And and then there was an article on Puckett's Pond, which is a fan site or one of the fan site sites, and talked about Tigers' obsession with just signing ex Twins and. He's not too far off the truth from that, but again, it's just one of those things where maybe he was Ron Ron, Ron Garnheider. He was only on, under Ron Garnheider for fifty games, so it's not like he had a big sample size. But he did probably see him play quite a bit in the minors, and perhaps yeah, thought he could bring it, him something different. That, you know, I, I think I don't know what percentage to put it at. Uh, maybe fifty percent, maybe seventy-five, maybe twenty-five, somewhere in the percentages. Uh, of baseball is just who you know, like even more so than other jobs and things in life. Like if you have a relationship with somebody and you remember them, they're going to, you might give them a chance And this. that you goes for being in the front office for being a player, for being a coach, like it's just the way it is. And we've talked about it a long time. Like how, how many decades pitching coaches and hitting coaches were there without any real proof that they were good at their job, just because, they knew somebody and had been a coach or had had been a pitcher or had been a, a hitter, so they just have a job. 
It's like, uh, yeah, well, he played the game, so he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and, uh, Gordon Beckham yeah. came to mind last year. He knew it was, was he? Yeah, it was his, his uh, there was a field agent or something, I've forgotten. But yeah, there was a relationship there, and that gave him a chance. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Gordon Beckham was, you know, there last year. <laughs> he wasn't good, but you know they needed a body. So it's just that's kind of governs, I think, a lot of these moves we see sometimes is that there was a relationship somewhere in the past with someone, whether it be it a scout or uh, a coach. I mean, I think people talk about J.D. Martinez coming to the Tigers in part because he had a relationship with Alavila. I don't know how close to the truth that is, but I remember people talking about it. So, Yeah, you know, also comes to mind, too, is the a, a member of the Tigers organization for a long time as a player and as a coach, and he wasn't really known for much being a, a, a player, if you will, but I, it, it, it was one of those things where I was, I, I, when you said that, it just it instantly thought of this man, and that's Dystruski. Yeah. So Dystruski, rather, was on the '68 team. He was on the he was on the '68 team. He was just a bit player that came over from the Dodgers and then the Tigers. And then he was on the staff for a long time. And he was was a holdover from the '68 the team and ended up going to the, being on staff and didn't leave. I think he was with Sparky till the end, I believe. So there is a guy that comes to mind when you said that, Chris. Yeah, and, and like I said, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. No, you, nothing you, at all. It could, right. could be somebody who you just you know is a great baseball mind and somebody who you like being around and somebody who's good with players. And other times it's, you know, you're drafting coaches' sons for no apparent reason. And or broadcaster's like sons. Broadcast, remember yeah. Mario Pemba's son. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they ever had any intention of, of signing. That was just like a favor. But yeah, like, you know, they're signing Jim Leland's son in the eighth round, drafting him, which was not great. And you see stuff like that. And we talked, you know, Riley Green had a relationship with the scout that signed him for long, a long time. So it's 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 a relationship game, which is sometimes it, it doesn't work out so great. Yeah, nepotism does not work out in certain cases. And in this case, it, it's a familiarity, too. Yeah, we'll see. Who knows? I mean, Kenny Vargas, he might rediscover bat speed um, and hitting ability. But I I suspect we won't see him in Detroit at all. No. And not to mention, too, his numbers in Japan, he struggled. He was saying, based off the conversation that interpreted, that he essentially didn't feel comfortable in Japan. That's why his numbers struggled. But to the point of six home runs, I mean, I don't know. That, that maybe the baseball is a mental sport, so perhaps his mental effect was that. So yeah, and it, it is. There's it's a culturally different game over there. Like there are certain things they do, and you're expected to do, and and uh, I could see how that might bother somebody, but. Other people have managed to suck it up and, and still hit. So, I don't know. Sounds like he's straining to do some explaining. <laughs> and then the same thing with Jody Mercer. I don't have a uh, – people, there's no problem with the Jody Mercer signing whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. They, sh- they should give those to a 1,000 people if they have room. I, I One issue I would have, uh, and I suspect that he will make the roster – in some capacity, uh, it just it, it doesn't. And I know they're talking about making uh, Nico Goodrum the regular shortstop now, which I was totally cool with, and I, I looking forward to it, and I want to see what happens. I, I suspect they're also going to abandon that at some point early in the season, and it, I'd just be kind of annoyed if 
Jordy Mercer is getting at bats ahead of Willie Castro, who might not be anything more than a utility infielder, but why not find out? You know, he, he hit 300 with a decent amount of power and some steals in Toledo last year. I don't know how much more he's going to learn in Toledo. So if you're, you're artificially keeping him down just because you want to give Jordy Mercer at bats, I think that would be dumb. But we'll see. I, I don't want to jump to the conclusion. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I wouldn't want to jump to conclusions either. But I hope to God that's not the case. If he takes away a batch from a younger player, then to me it makes no sense. Because then what was the point of bringing him in? Yeah, I mean, and you know, there's there's something to be said for veteran leadership and clubhouse presence and stuff like that. But it just doesn't make sense for where this franchise is right now, I don't think. Worry about veterans when young guys are up and you got a chance to be good. Yeah, exactly. So... So what, what what's good and that was good was the Fangraphs top prospect list that came out with the Tigers in terms of what the Tigers are doing. We'll get to the free the Detroit News one because that was interesting. As Lynn Henning came out of retirement, then to scald poor Kean when he Kean made a comment about his list. I don't know how true yeah, that missed, was or I not. Saw, what did uh, what exactly happened? Did you see it? I didn't see it. Well, uh, so Kean tweeted something along the line. It was it was. Somebody I forgot what was a placement of head of somebody. Uh, yeah, Lynn had I think Daz Cameron like twenty ninth or something like that. Yeah, and based off batting average, it was he was he was making it the fact that you didn't see him live and it was just based off batting average or something something of that effect. And if you if you follow Tiger Minor Minor League report or Tiger Minor League tracker Keen's account, you'll you'll see it there. Right. Well, you know it's funny. I, I remember not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I remember a while back. When when Das Cameron looked really good two seasons ago, Lynn was trying to point out that his batting average on balls in play was really high and it might be artificially, you know, propping up his numbers. And then last year his BABIP was super low. So it's just one of those things. Like he may have been right two years ago and maybe wrong now. I don't know. Yeah. It is by the way, you know I was looking at earlier. On Fatgrass, when I was getting ready for everything, Chris, did Chris Russo submit it? Was it the actual Chris Russo that actually submitted an article for Fatgrass? Yeah, for like they had like a community oh. research thing. And it was, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I think that Chris Russo could write. Well, it could be another Chris Russo. I don't All right. know. Yeah. Okay. I was just making sure they're, it's they're, the, the, the hot seat or the, the hot stoves, Chris Russo. There are like 30 more Chris Brown sports writers that are more famous than I am. Damn, I didn't realize there was that many Chris Browns out there. Yeah, there's only this weird army of us. <laughs> but uh, no, so the the fan graphs came out. I know Chris or Chip is friends with uh, or Chip's associated with himself with Kylie. Kylie. I think they yeah. He, Chip wrote for fan graphs a little bit back when. So Kylie McDaniel was their head prospect guy, and then he went and took a job with the Braves, I think. And Chip was writing for fan graphs a little bit back when Kylie was there and then Kylie went off. And so they, they, they know each other. Um, and it, Fangraphs I think is, is the best list and ranking service just for, I, I, I prefer their methodology. It's, it's much more spelled out and coherent than most other places. Like baseball America is fine. It's the, it's the, uh, you know, it's the classic, the one that's been doing it for the longest. And, and I still value what they have to say a lot. And MLB pipelines fine. Um, they have pretty solid information. It's, it's, I think a smaller team working on it there. So I don't, I don't trust their 
scouting as much, if you will. But I, I'm sure they, they, you know, they're well-connected guys, so they talk to a lot of scouts and evaluators. But Fangraphs, you know, it's mostly they see a lot of these guys. They talk to people as well. And then they have more specific concrete data. And, and that is what I, you know, I really appreciate that they've folded in fastball and breaking ball spin rates and uh, exit velocity for the hitters that uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything on its own, but it can help point you to somebody who might be interesting and following. Yeah. And a lot, I use a lot of, I'm starting to understand how they use their data better a little bit. And I've, I've used their data for a lot of articles. I cite their sources all the time mm-hmm. and I've learned quite a bit of even for breakdown of like the walk. I love the walk rate, the strike rate, but Eric Lonahan and Kyle McDaniel did a really good job with this list. So the top 10 looks like this. Matt Manning at number one. Casey Mize at number two. Riley Green at number three. Tarek Subal number four. I have really no problem with this at all. Uh, Isaac Perez number five. Alex Fado six. Wentz at seven. Wenzel Perez, number eight. Das Cameron, number nine. And Franklin Perez filling out the number 10. Just outside that is Parker Meadows and Nick Quintana. So they have Brian Packer pretty high at number 18, which... And then Zach Hass comes in at number fifteen, Chris. And I know you were you've been looking at Zach Hass's fastball recently in, in the tool breakdown. I'm not really surprised by this at all. I mean, we, we saw Zach last, and he Hass he might have just been a gas last year, but Alex Lange come up there number thirteen. Yeah, so this we were having discussions. I, I mean, there there are certain any of these lists they're generally uh, to produce discussion, and and they're. I think we've, it's been kind of half and half. We've seen that Casey Mize, I had a Matt Manning, or Matt Manning, I had a Casey Mize. So I think that's, it's a uh, pick, pick your favorite there. But yeah, some of the, the, the stuff that was worth discuss, uh, discussing was, you know, Alex Lang, I think, was their first 40 future value prospect. So that's the way the Fangraphs does it. They, they map it out, their grades, you know, 60 FB, which means future value. They map it out to, their projected war for the player over the first six full seasons of his, of his career. So I think a 60 FB is, is expected to produce about 15 to 18 war, something like that. You know, it's, it's a, like a 50 would be an average player. So it would be like 12 war over the first six years. And, and obviously that doesn't always work out, but that's just kind of how they view these players. And so in that regard, when they're mapping it to, future major league value they might have some of these guys like lang and hess who figure to be relievers they might have them higher than other places because the ceiling's not there and a lot of prospect places go for ceiling like hey you know if this guy fulfills his his ceiling he's a an everyday third baseman or something like that whereas with lang and hess if these guys hit their ceiling they are, you know, eighth inning relievers, probably seventh inning relievers, but their floor isn't all that far away from that either. So they might come up and and give you, I guess, a forty future value would be like one win a season, so like six wins over the course of six years, something like that, which is entirely reasonable. And and I think it's a solid way to rank players. Uh, now with Hess, I, I I didn't like personally what we saw from him. Um, but there's, I mean, there's something there. He, he was a highly regarded prep prospect. He was, uh, you know, beloved at LSU. He's got a low to mid nineties fastball, like 91, 96, he'll top out at, and it's kind of a slurvy breaking ball, 
that uh, grades out his plus at times. And he's got a really herky-jerky motion. It kind of reminds me of, like, the way K-Rod pitched. You know, or just, like, a, like rocking back and forth and big leg kicks and, like, quick through those, you know, his delivery, which creates some deception. But there's not much command there at all. And uh, that's, what, that's why we saw him get rocked in our outing. Like, the control is fringy and the command is not great. He doesn't locate well in the zone. So, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, you know, relievers generally don't have great command, but there might be something there. And Lang, Lang's uh, curveball is pretty damn good. So that might be a weapon for him. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's Like I said, it's a, they, make a, they do a good job putting a lot of work on these lists and they're fun to, to talk about. Yeah, especially because I liked what they said about one of my favorite ones on their profiles was what they said about Winsteel Perez in terms of he's one of the few position players in the system who has a realistic chance of playing some sort of everyday role. And you come to think about it, you it, it, you give pause, you go, oh, wait a minute. And then you think about Nick Quintana, what we saw last year. And then we still we haven't seen technically Brian Packer in first base. And, and then you think about the infield, they're like, and I we haven't seen a sound Reyes play yet he's at oh i did so Reyes. yeah i didn't yeah. Sell we haven't yeah we haven't seen him play yet so we don't really have a gauge to say it so yeah i mean and that, that's a good example of what i mean by like you you might see other sites including us put those guys ahead of somebody like alex lang and zach Hess, just because the ceiling is so much greater but they you know they more likely will bust out before they even get to double a it's just the way it is so you're, you're baking in some of the future projections and and uh and major leagues but I will say, yeah, Fangraphs, I think, remains the highest on, in the industry uh, on Winslow Perez. Yeah. He, uh, he, he just he had a bad year. We've written about it. We've talked about it. Um, but like they said, I guess you're betting. His carrying tool was supposed to be the bat in terms of he, he looks like a potential average, above average hitter. And that might still be there. He might just have had a bad year. Uh, and so if that comes back, then yeah, he looks like he could be an, uh, an everyday player. But you know, it, it, we just we didn't like what we saw too much last year. I do like what they said too. They Andre uh, Andre Lipkis comes down a little bit in the order number thirty, and I thought I thought the write up too. In terms of they mentioned the leg kick, his his swing approach that changed quite a bit. So. And even have they have Campos though at number, which is interesting in, in, because of his future value at number twenty five. So that talks about a little bit what you mentioned too about projections and what have you. So, but uh, the other list that came out today was by Lynn Henning, and that was the top fifty. Our list is coming out soon. Don't don't worry. No, it's gonna be very. It's gonna be fifty two. So Matt Manning, Scooble, Mize. Riley Green and Isaac Praise your top five, and then Fado Wentz, Packer. Packer comes in at number eight, mm. met over over Meadows, and and then Clemens comes in at number ten. So there, you know, you're, you're wondering, okay, well, where is where is Perez? Where is Perez? Where's he come up on the list? And Winsteel Perez comes up on this list, and I don't see him yet. I, I'm waiting and waiting. He's in the thirties, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, our. our Sergio Alcara comes up at number 28 before him. And then Hugh Smith, Zach Hess, 35, 36, 30. Let's see. He comes. Okay. What? Okay. Really? Wait a minute. Troy Strokes Jr. comes in at number 36. 
Winsteel Perez comes at 39. Lynn, I love you, mm-hmm. man, but really, man? Come on. <laughs> when, Troy Strokes Jr. with his 30% strikeout rate? Come on, man. Well, you know, like I said, all these lists, they're for discussion. They are a reflection of what people think. Sometimes people go out on a limb just to you know, make themselves they think that they're right later or go back and look and go, oh, I got that one wrong. Um, I, I, I think Winslow Perez is still a top 30 prospect in the system. I would probably put him in the top 20 still uh, just because, of, like we said, that, that hit tool might still be there. We saw it two years ago. Um, and the, the basics of it were still there last year. He just didn't hit with any impact whatsoever and had to fall on the ground too much. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's It becomes galling a little bit sometimes when you see other players, the players who are ranked ahead of somebody who, like, you can see, you know, busting the guy down the list, but then the, some of the other people who are ahead of him, it's a head-scratcher, you know? Another, another head-scratcher to me that came up, and we I don't think we have any reports from him or anything at all, he came up in the top 40, was Martin Herrera. Yeah, I, um, you know, every now and then, Lynn has some contacts within the organization, and uh, they will. They are fond of of you know pointing out somebody in, in from the international signings who might be unknown who has some some uh, promise. So that that could be a guy, or uh, you know he might have just picked a guy out of a hat from the old <laughs> the old uh, roster. You know I did that 15, 16 years ago. I just looked at the old like the Venezuelan summer league. Uh, rosters and I look for the youngest players and I'm like, huh, these two guys, they put up interesting stats at a young age. Uh, I, I, I bet they're prospects. And it was Francisco Martinez and Avacil Garcia. Uh, and they ended up being prospects and I just kind of got lucky there. But, you know, I, I would guess that Lynn probably got a tip from somebody that this guy might be worthy of yeah. talk, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about him. Yeah, I, I couldn't either because I haven't, I haven't seen him at any prospect list whatsoever. I didn't even, I, I'll be honest with you. Until I saw that today, I had to double check that. I'm like, wait, who's this gentleman? And so well, it makes a lot of sense now what you're talking about, his connections. And Cooper Johnson comes in at number 23 over Winsteel Perez. Again, mm-hmm. that was also one of those that I didn't understand either. But, again, we're not going to nitpick it too much. It is yeah. what it is. And so um, also I did want to another uh, another – kind of news item too that give kind of pause to Jay Allen, who was the Tigers PA announcer, died of cancer this week at the age of sixty. Yeah, it was um was it the the same cancer that got on your howell? Was it bile duct cancer or something like that? I believe so. And and kudos to Dan Hasty who had some really good tweets about him and, and it was just his story just saying, you know, he he said if if I die tomorrow I know I'd you know live my dream and just I don't know. It was something along those lines. It was, it was touching and a lot of uh, really good uh, outpour from the community. Yeah, I mean that's sad. That dude. Uh, I enjoyed his voice. I think you didn't. He also do some Michigan basketball games for a while. I um, think so. Yeah, I'm not really. I know he was at West. I think it was you did the West Michigan stuff beforehand. I believe. Yeah, yeah. It's it's obviously it's a giant bummer. It's uh, another one of those instances where like yeah, you just gotta. Hold your loved ones close and tell them you love them and enjoy your life. And what you're right, you were right. You're right. It was the it was bile duct cancer. Yeah, which yeah, I mean you don't hear about that very often. The only two times I've heard of it were for 
Tigers broadcasters or announcers. Yeah, that is that is weird now that I think about it. And Although I mean, maybe that's just like another name for pancreatic cancer. I, I don't know. Now that I think about, he was also when I lived down West Michigan, he was the guy at the Berlin Raceway too. So that was a little oh, raceway no. that we used to do radio station stuff for. So have pipes will travel. Yeah, there we go. I mean, he has a smooth voice, so it makes perfect sense. And lastly, I'm trying to think of anything else we missed. Uh, well, you know, Pipeline did their top 100. Too. Oh, yes. I, don't know I forgot we about, about that. But, no, uh, we have not. No. Nothing particularly, uh, you know, shocking or surprising there. The, I think four Tigers in the top 100. I think both Baseball America and, and uh, Pipeline had Tarek Scoovel uh, in the top 40, which is uh, a really a, a kind of a remarkable ascent from not being ranked anywhere at the beginning of last year. So that's cool. Uh, and then, yeah, they, the only difference, they, they didn't have Isaac Paredes, which is fine. I could, you know, it's, it's one of those things like the prospects, again, this is kind of why we dig fan graphs. The prospects are really kind of tiered. <laughs> it's not, there isn't like a, a set list of 100 prospects that are good. You know, they're, they're like five in a given year who are potentially elite and like 10 to 20 who are potentially all-stars. And then, then there's like a group of 60 who might be, you know, above average major leaguers. And then you got like 200 who could be contributors. It's, it's like, it doesn't really roll out smoothly. So doing a top 100 prospects list, it's, it's fun and it's a good exercise, but doesn't necessarily like mean anything to be like Paredes is number 100 on baseball America. Like that's probably no different than being 80 or 140. Yeah. And there's sometimes like the, there was a, there, one of our, we had, we were aiming to get a guest. I'm not going to say who, what is, what his name was, but he had a tweet that kind of made me shake my head a little bit. He said the prospect lists for journal or or, or something I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of prospect lists are going to be the death of journalism. It's bad writing. And I like shook my head a little bit and I go ask the fan guys grabs that or anybody who's watched baseball and research and, and do that, that list or ask them that question. And, uh, yeah, I don't know who this is, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll tell you after the show. Yeah, um, well, I mean, it, like, see, that's I don't know anybody proclaiming the death of journalism or the death of hip hop or the death of cinema. You're just not looking hard enough. You're not trying. You know, it's a layup. It's a toss. It's a it's a it's a damn layup of a, a, a like a statement. It's just a stupid hipster statement thing to say. You know, or just a, an old man statement, really. I mean, yeah. like. Like, I don't understand any of this garbage mumble rap. It's garbage mumble rap. But, you know, I'm 40. It's not for me. And uh, it's, you know, lists. People people talked about lists in, you know, online, BuzzFeed, being annoying, click-through lists, and, and what do you call it, clickbait, all that stuff. And BuzzFeed ended up, you know, they still do that, but they also have, like, a serious <laughs> political journalism uh, wing now. And it's like, oh, well, I guess that wasn't the death of journalism, was it? A bunch of lists. It also created the Clickhole parody site, which was great fun. So Yeah, I love that site, by the way. They didn't create it, but it helped spawn that. So it's, it's like, you know, man, journalists are out there doing good work. You just don't complain because somebody made a list. Yeah, exactly. And there's people that there's work behind the list. It's not just some out there. But, uh, yeah, I know. We'll end the show with on that note. The show's been kind of like a buzzkill. Speaking of, <laughs> well, you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's like we got some tragedy 
and for as much like the, there have been some tiny moves, but it wasn't like a big baseball league. The Castiano signing was probably the biggest news. Yeah. Uh, and then pro baseball and and all the oh, Sterling Knicks out there. Oh, Sterling Marte get traded to the Arizona. Yeah, Sterling Marte t- traded to. That was interesting in Arizona. They've improved their farm system so much in the last couple years. I mean, they had like eight of the first seventy picks last year, including one of the guys who traded, Brendan Malone. Um, and one of my favorite quirks about last year's draft is there were two people named Brendan Malone in it. Uh, with one spelled M I L O N E and one spelled M A L O N E, uh, but this is the M A L O N E one, and he was he was considered one of the top high school pitchers in the draft, and then here we are, what uh, six seven months later, and they trade him for a, a good outfielder. So that's one of the benefits of building up a farm system, but sometimes you got to do it in other ways than just the draft. Yeah, and by the way, Brendan Malone was also a Pistons assistant or Chuck Daly when they won the championship. Yeah, Brent, Brendan Malone, yeah. yeah. I remember him, him and, like, Ron Rothstein. And... <laughs> yeah, I forgot about Ron Rothstein, yeah. He always, uh, Brendan, that Brendan Malone always had a sweater. It was like a sweater yeah. vest thing going yeah. rocking. But, uh, no, it was, you know what, the, the, I saw it too, I saw a figure that the Pirates payroll now is like $53 million or something ridiculous. Ridiculously, and pirate fans are pissed. And yeah, well, I mean, it's it sucks to. I mean, they are in stage one of the rebuild now, which sucks. And that's, but what that trade did. I mean, they weren't going to compete this year anyway, so it made sense to me that trade. They traded a quality veteran for two guys. It's a kind of a huge boomer bust trade. Two really young guys that both have a lot of potential. I mean, they could be top fifty prospects. In two years, but uh, yeah, nobody really likes to sit there and and, and wait, especially because the Pirates were kind of in a perpetual rebuild for 25 years before they had a good five eight year run there with McCutcheon and such. But uh, yeah, it's it's a bummer. It's it's a bummer. You you mentioned you know Tony Paul wrote an article about the Tigers should should be ready to spend money again next year. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I guess. And I, <laughs> I don't know how much I want them to spend a bunch of money, given the way they spent money back in 2016. But we'll see how they do it. I, yeah, and the thing is, we can be optimistic about it. But if, when Tony Paul mentions this in his article and does it very well, if the District Detroit any indication of that, the way that's going, I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I, I think for me, to end the podcast, if I, if, if I could put it, if the Tigers show. Look, sixty games. If they win sixty games, I mean, it was bad enough when I watched that. By the way, Jamer Candelario was the MVP for Los Todos for the Dominican Winter League, and they won more games than the Tigers did. And that's <laughs> yeah, that was a great tweet. So I'm like, oh no. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, like just because all the Ron Robin, all that stuff added up, and then look, if the Tigers make a ten game improvement, is that a lot to ask for? Not really, but I mean, at the same time. Desperate times call for desperate measures to me. And like, there's a lot of people out there who are so angry about the Tigers and this state of mind. But if you if you really pay attention, this has been a long time coming, and it could be it could be a lot better. Da da da, Alavila, all that, you know, yada yada yada. I get it, fine, whatever. But yeah. if they have the money to spend next year, I would say wait, get somebody that's going to be somebody who's really like impact. Like some of the the names are mentioned in that article. I'm like, eh. 
you know, or make a move to trade some of your pieces in the farm system and get somebody that is young and will under club control for three or four years, like an impact bat, something like that. That to me yeah. will show kind of progress. Then like, okay, wow, they have a guy that they're that's smart. They have a guy who's under cl- cl- club control and allows them to maybe possibly resign him. Yeah, and and I think I, I have I, I can't speak to any potential strategy because we haven't seen them do anything really the the front office, but they may before they can really do anything before like you said go go get some players with multiple years of club control they may have to wait for some of the young pitching to come up and prove themselves for half a season a season and a half and the majors before they can then trade them for young position players because pitching prospects are so volatile that that i, I don't think you're going to do a, a pure prospect for prospect trade um and i don't you know we get negative and the tigers are almost certainly going to lose 100 105 games next year but there's like a, I don't know, like a 2% chance that things are much more um, pleasant than we expect. Like, you see, Candelario was MVP. Candelario comes out and, and finds something and looks like a, a, an average everyday third baseman. That would be nice. And Kristen Stewart, maybe he finds his hitting stroke and, and hits 25 home runs. And you see positive improvements from Jake Rogers and Willie Castro. They look like they could be you know, major leaguers. And you know, the the sheer number of pitching prospects they have who are close to the majors is kind of staggering. You know, we, we talked before about like Burroughs and Funkhauser coming up and me in the bullpen, maybe Anthony Castro too. But then all the starters, Mize and Manning and Scooble and Wentz and Fiedo could all conceivably come up <laughs> next year. And like, you know, like I said, it's a 2% chance. What if everybody comes up and they look kind of good? It's not going to happen. But if that happens... I, I could see, you know, optimism would abound and maybe they go out and spend on some veterans and think they can, can push this up a little bit. But I don't see that happening because pitchers don't ever come up and, and look good. <laughs> they always they come up and go, oh, all right, that's got to work on that. I mean, we got kind of spoiled with players like, you know, Verlander came up and was good, but wasn't really Verlander Verlander until 2010, 2009, you know, season his fourth season. And Fulmer was kind of remarkable. He, he was pedestrian for, what, three or four starts? And it was like, all right, I guess I should probably throw this change up. And it was, like, nasty. At least the first time he threw it to the, I think it was Tampa, he struck out, like, 11 batters. I'm like, all right, well, I guess he's just going to be a good starter now. You don't see that happen very often. Normally it's more like what we've seen from Boyd and Norris, where it's like this multi-year process for them to try to just become average. Um, but, like I said, if you want to be optimistic, hold on to that 2% chance. It's probably more like 1% or a 0.1%, but whatever. It's possible. There is a universe out there where this happens. I can see that happening. I mean, it. it I can see a little bit of money spent, but I mean, but I, what I okay, I can see it happening where they could spend perhaps a little bit of money to submit, maybe get like a player that would possibly help. But what, what in terms of starters, if I think of every like hyped up possible young rotation going back. To the Mets, like we've talked about this before, with Inzenhauer, Pulsifer, and forgot the other two pitchers in that rotation. Even the Mets currently with Degrom and Syndergaard, and then I think about yeah, I the Braves. I mean, the Braves. Greg Maddox yeah, was great. Greg, Greg, okay, so Greg Maddox was a free agent. He was signed, but they had what, Ken Merker, Steve Avery, and Tom Glavin. If they can do that, hey, I. Phew, 
Wow. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking more about the kind of current Braves that uh, they had about a dozen pitching prospects, one of whom was Joey Wentz, who's now with the Tigers. But uh, and, and you can count them down and figure out, you know, they had Colby Allard, who they used in a trade. Didn't look like he was all that great. Maybe a, a decent major leaguer. Mike Soroka looks good. He looks legit. Um, Max Freed, they got in a trade a while back, and he didn't look like much. And then last year he was solid. Mike Fultonevich. They got from the Astros, I think, for for uh, Eloso Blanco. What was his name? The uh, catcher, sort of Evan Gaddis. Uh, but then, like, Tuki Toussaint hasn't really worked out. Kyle Muller hasn't really worked out yet. Ian Anderson still in the minors. Luis Gahara looked good for a little bit and then just completely fell off the map. Bryce Wilson has come up a little bit and, and been knocked around. Kyle Wright hasn't looked great. You know, they've had, they've, they had like a dozen pitching prospects, and they've got two guys who look like members of the future rotation and then i guess if you count fulton evans that's three and then sean newcomb's in the bullpen now so it's it's just like they you you, you build build a stable of arms because not everybody's gonna work out and not half of them are gonna work out almost certainly but like i said maybe it's a miracle and they all come up and look good and you can trade some of them or something yeah for a young bat that would be nice because everybody needs pitching so we're out of time. Thank you so much for listening to Tigers SRD here on the Tiger Man Report Network, of course, at SportsRadioDetroit.com and Overtime Media. Speaking of Sports Radio Detroit, by the way, check out Pistons SRD. They've been working really hard over there, Ravon. So if you're a fan of basketball, you want to check out something different. Are I mean, they going to trade Andre, Andre Drummond that's or a Derrick Rose? Or Der- they, supposedly, they, don't, they said nothing about Derrick Rose, but we'll see. I mean, uh, if you also want to talk a little bit football, Lions SRD with Jamie and Ben. Out of Bounds Detroit did a really good job with the Kobe Bryant episode, and I'm trying to think. Oh, and my other podcast, which I I, I should do more. I don't like doing plugs for my own stuff because I feel weird about it. So if yeah. you felt, yeah, we did an episode on the Oscars, and I talked a little bit about nice. some underrated Oscar movies that should got some more hype, like how the mid, essentially the late 90s, early 2000s ruined it for movies a little bit, but that, so... Check out all that great stuff. Or, of course, check out Chris's Tool Shed series. It finishes up tomorrow. And then Chris is going to take a nice, long week off from writing. And <laughs> well, Maybe. I, I want to get back to the, the couple of articles that I was writing before. Um, but we'll see. Also, I probably will take a break. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you should take the weekend and chill. Watch, uh, I don't know, you, you were saying that Sunday is uh, Harrison's birthday. You guys are going to go and... Not yeah, chill. I don't know what we're gonna do really. I mean, he uh, all he wants is uh, an ice cream cake with his face on it for some reason, and I think he wants a red stormtrooper costume. Um, That's so, awesome. Yeah, I don't know what he just he likes about this. He doesn't even care about Star Wars. He just likes the look of the red stormtrooper. So he loves Reds or Red. I think I've talked before. His favorite baseball team is the Reds just because of their name. So yeah, well, eventually, I mean, it, I don't know if he'll ever switch to the Tigers at some point, but. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, I haven't exposed him to much football because I don't want to, to break his heart. But uh, if he does ever grow up to enjoy football, I think his birthdays might be pretty fun because this is the second time. I mean, he's, when he was born, it was the Super Bowl where, who was, was it Denver and Indianapolis? Who? Denver? I don't know who was. It was Denver and Seattle. I don't remember the Super Bowl, 2014. But one team got absolutely blown out. I don't remember which one was which, but. This is the second time his birthday's been on the Super Bowl. Gotcha. They're, 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 I don't know. Even like for the Super Bowl, we're I'm having people over. We're having uh, we're making 
Cuban pork sandwiches. We're making some wings. So I'm going to go crazy. I got a new TV this week, so I'm pretty excited about that. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, very good time. Oh, that TV, the TV going out was, like, very fortuitous. But I had a TV now. I had a TV going for almost, like, 10 years at that point. So, uh, anyway, but anyway, at any rate, rather, <laughs> check out all our great content coming out. And we appreciate all the comments, feedback, what have you. We talked about a little earlier. We can't thank you enough. And also, do yourself a favor. Don't get mad at Kent Sterling's article about the extending that to the Cubs. The guy's an idiot. There we go. That's all. Uh, I'll leave that in the podcast note with that. So Ashley, Ashley, Ashley McLennan from Bless You Boy shared that. I read the article, and I was just visibly disgusted. But none more than that. Caribbean World Series starts this weekend. I believe, oh, nice. yeah. So check that out too. Get ready for baseball. Spring training is around the corner. Lots yep. of little uh, exciting Caribbean action. Yeah, I'm so excited, and it's yeah. There's this is the this is the time you were going to amp it up a little bit. So enjoy our off show, if you will, and uh, we'll see you next week.